Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. There are a few famous families in New Orleans, the Nevilles, the Mannings, the Marcellus family, the Batiste, the Brennans. I, I could name more, but you can probably think of others too. Like mine, your list of names is likely going to be families of sports figures, musicians, or restaurateurs. There are also families of business people here in New Orleans, families that are every bit as dynastic as those other names, like, for example, the Neal family. In 1946, Harriet and Abder Neal started up the Magnolia Beauty Supply Company. They manufactured and sold hair care products to hundreds of salons. They stayed in the business for a couple of generations and over the years becoming bigger and more successful. Then in 1991, they expanded into retail and opened their first hair salon in Hammond. That one salon, which is called Paris Parker, is now eight salons that are called Paris Parker Salon and Spa. Employing over 200 people, the salons are a division of the Neal Corporation and are co-owned by Executive Director Garrison Neal. Garrison, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. Growing up in a family where people are talking about business around the dinner table can be a distinct advantage for anyone going into business. But you can only absorb so much over a meal. And even if you go to business school, when it comes to actually running a business and making decisions that affect hundreds or thousands of people, well, that's a whole other set of skills. Those skills, including communication, management, and leadership, are an absolute must to master. And what's interesting about them is you can't learn them once and know everything. As times change, so do the ways you run a company. Michelle Johnson keeps corporate executives abreast of those changes. Michelle is an executive coach for the leaders of companies as diverse as Oxner, Pfizer, the City of New Orleans, J.P. Morgan Chase, and many more. She's also a professor at Loyola University in New Orleans and the author of a book about keeping current in business called The Seismic Shift in Leadership, How to Thrive in a New Era of Connection. Michelle Johnson, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you so much, Peter. Thanks for having me. Now, Garrison, as I mentioned, you have eight Paris Parker salons that employ over 200 people. Now, although your company originally started out as a hair care product company, your, your salons are co-branded with Aveda, which is a hair care product company owned by Estee Lauder. But Neal Corporation, which is your family company that owns the Paris Parker salons, also employs another 700 people in hairdresser training schools across the country. These schools are called Aveda Arts and Sciences Institute. There's obviously a strong relationship between the Neal Corporation, Paris Parker Salons, and Aveda, and of course, Estee Lauder. Can you explain exactly what that relationship is? Yeah, of course. Um, the thing that uh, makes Neal so unique is that we are a beauty product distribution company that also operates its own salons. So we've been with Aveda my entire life. 
And the salons allow us to walk the talk with our customers. So the people that we're going out and distributing to, my dad's vision was always that we would be their true partner in running the business. So in order to do so, we have to know what it's like to really own and operate that business. And so that's what I get to do every day is I, I lead the salon division. Do salons view you as a competition and won't buy your hair care products? That's what I would just think. No, I, you know, we've strategically tried to you know, stay within the Louisiana region. Um, but, you know, like, for example, here in New Orleans, you have Keith Noonan. I mean, I don't see Keith as competition. We're, we're friends and we help each other grow. Michelle, rising to the level of executive at a major company like some of your clients, Pfizer, Entergy, or J.P. Morgan Chase, is a major achievement. A person only gets to be in a leadership position at a major corporation by proving themselves, either in the company or, or somewhere else. When someone gets to a senior executive position, it's not like everything they learned that got them there is wiped out of their brain like, oh, some sort of business version of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. You'd think that a successful executive would be able to give lessons in leadership rather than having to take them. So maybe you could start by explaining the logic behind executive training. Why does anybody at that successful level in business need it? Great question, Peter. Yeah, I'll give you a, a really good example. So one of my clients is Pete November, and Pete November was just named the new CEO at Auctioner. And I've been, he's taken over Warner Thomas's position, and I've been working with Pete for years. One of the beautiful things that Warner did, he was a true visionary, an incredible leader, and he invested in his people. And so maybe years ago, executive coaching might have been seen as kind of rehab, like, oh gosh, what did I do wrong? <laughs> Michelle Johnston's coming to work with me. And it's not that case anymore. A leader like Warner Thomas of 36,000 employees said, I want my high-performing leaders, leaders who we want to retain, I want them to have the best coaches to help them to get to the next level. So executive coaches is for the highest performers. So in some sense, being sent to you is a sign that they have big plans for you. Oh, it's a huge compliment because it's a lot of money and time and investment. And if you think about any high performer, no matter what role, whether it's in tennis or golf or football, they have coaches. And so it's becoming much more common in corporate America that if you're a high performer and you want to be the highest level of leader, you're going to have an executive coach. And Garrison, just to clear up something the first uh, earlier... The hair care products are sold outside of Louisiana, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, we just own and operate the Paris Parkers here in Louisiana. We distribute Aveda throughout the southeast. Um, so my dad wanted us to be fully vertically integrated. So we're like a one-stop shop for anyone in, in salon or spa. So we've owned, uh, we own a hair extension company. We own a tool company. We had a furniture company. We started the first ever salon software in 84. Um, so we've, we've truly been a one-stop shop to be a, a, a real partner for salons. And uh, by the way, when you mention things like furniture and all that, that's furniture for a salon, right? Correct. Okay. Yes, <laughs> so. like everything from like a massage bed to um, a salon station. Now, Michelle, I'm just going to brag on you for a second. The book we mentioned a few minutes ago is not one of those business books that, you know, very few people read or it's a really niche market. You're now the number two book on Amazon. How did that happen? That's not by accident. No, I feel so fortunate. I think the message of true, genuine connection, because that's what the book is about, the old model of command and control, which we know very well, all of us at this table, 
is just not effective anymore. And coming out of the pandemic, that's what there. That's what I began with. There are so many seismic shifts going on in the world. Coming out of the pandemic, we want more. We want more out of our leaders. We want more out of going into the office and what that feels like, looks like, sounds like. And so it takes connection. And I truly believe that it's that message, the reason why the book made number two just last week in the leadership category, because leaders want to know, okay, if, if I want to retain, actually, if I want to attract my employees, because there's a labor shortage right now, it's really hard to find great employees. And then once you find them, if I want to retain them, and then if I want them to be engaged and deliver the highest level of customer service, we've got to create an environment that's different. It can't be a culture of fear. So that's what this book is about, is how to do that. So it's not an academic book. I went and found amazing leaders like Pete November, like um, Tanya Tetlow, Robert LeBlanc, a lot of these uh, leaders you know, Juan Martin of, of Kind Bars, the granola bar. He's making the world a kinder place. He's created a more compassionate work environment. Those are the type of leaders, and that's why I wanted Garrison to be on the show with us, because I looked at his values that, that he's created for his organization, and one of his values is love. That's, that's incredible. This is new. This is not normal, right? And yet we all want that. And why can't we have it? Well, I'm so glad you mentioned retention because I would imagine, Garrison, that is a bear for you. I mean, um, you know, you're training people. Uh, they're very young. You know, they're uh, very, very mobile. They now have a skill. First of all, what do those <laughs> retention levels look like? I bet it's pretty rough. Yeah, you, you know, I think natural attrition in just the salon industry is probably around 15, 20%. Um, because, you know, we have a lot of uh, young moms or soon-to-be moms. They have children. They decide maybe they want to not work or work less. I mean, there's a lot of factors at play. People move. There, there's also not really many other industries where you could leave today at, at 5 p.m. and have a job at the salon next door at 5.05. You know, and so I mean, that, that we do have employees though that have been with us for for a very long time. Like, connection drives results, and we so we have a culture of helping people reach their full potential, and we say that was your that, dad's uh, yeah, line too. And, yeah, we say that uh, business development starts with personal development, and so we've we haven't given people. The, that much business acumen that are leaders. We've always focused on the soft skills. And it's created this like legacy and culture that is so powerful. Um, the, the other thing we were talking yesterday, going through some of the Neil values, the Neil and Paris Parker values are very similar. Uh, but one thing that we were discussing is how uh, we've always said relationship is the key to the universe. And it goes right back to what you were saying, Michelle. It's all about how the connection drives the result. The one last thing I was going to mention on retention is if Michelle were talking to you, she might have things that are more corporate, like, you know, create a 401k that makes people stickier or whatever, but not the people at the age you're, hire, you're bringing in. I mean, if you're 19, that doesn't mean anything to right. you. So, Michelle, what, what, how could he be stickier? Yeah, so what were the research is showing us with the great resignation, great reevaluation, great prioritization is they're telling us they just want more. And so I've worked really hard at figuring out what does connection mean? How do you deconstruct it? And here's what I figured out, that connection is essentially the energy of reciprocity. Employees want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to be valued and appreciated. 
And so we, as me, as an executive coach, and all of us as leaders, we have to figure out how to do that. I just had a coaching call this morning that blew my mind. He's a regional CEO, thousands of employees below him. And he said that the brand new CEO of a 36,000 person company actually acknowledged him, said, we'll call him Michael. He was in a big meeting and the brand new CEO said, hello, Michael, good to see you. And my guy, who I'm coaching today on Zoom, said, Michelle, I will walk through fire for this guy. He saw me. He values me. He knows me. That's what we're talking about. So something beyond salary. Oh, absolutely. Do we need to pay fairly? Oh, absolutely. Do we need those benefits? Yes. But this is what the seismic shift is about. We want more out of work. It used to be work is work. Play is play, right? You bring your professional self to work, leave your personal, no, we're all humans. This is more of a human way of living, of being your full self. You're listening to Out to Lunch, I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with executive coach Michelle Johnson and Garrison Neal from Paris Parker Salons. Well, Garrison, being in a family business has a whole other set of issues and uh, seems like you've negotiated them pretty well. What? When you come into it, the family business like you did, and you worked outside the family business yeah. and such, um, what is that first year like? I mean, do you, um, do you feel like you've got to be a little careful that you don't st- overstep your, your bounds and you have to prove your, your street cred? Or is it easier because, oh, that's my brother? I, well, I think, I think it's harder, honestly, because first off, there's a whole other mental component to it, with like the pressure of... You know, my dad was like this very magnetic person and trying to fill those shoes. And so when you're that young, you really don't know how you're going to show up and lead. But you have to figure out how to show up and, and, and you, you can't be entitled. And that's, you know, that's like the kiss of death, I think, is like you come in and you don't roll up your sleeves and show up and, and, and do the work. And there's a tendency, I can see why you mentioned it's even harder, this tendency to think, well, he's not pulling his weight. And yet he's has an equity position in this because yeah. of it. That was be real. Now you, you're part of the Tulane family business. Uh, yes. Form. They, is that, that's probably the kind of stuff they um, go over. I, I think the Tulane family business forum is one of the best things that I've ever been a part of. Um, I started because my dad was involved. And uh, so I probably started going, I was like being exposed to it around 15. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, I was exposed to this type of thinking my entire life. Um, and the, the thing that's great about the Tulane Family Business Forum is that all these family businesses, they're totally different, right? There's everything from Robinson Lumber to an oil and gas company to, a, you know, Crystal's Hot Sauce. But we all kind of deal with the same stuff. Maybe not at the same time, but, like, we all have to talk about succession planning. We all have to talk about culture. Like, how do we work with our siblings? You know, this, it's important to have a forum where we can talk about that stuff. And Michelle... You, um, you kind of have a special look at this, at what you're doing, because you were, as a young girl, your, um, your dad was a GM and had to move the family every couple of years. Um, is that the way it is now? Do you, in order to keep moving up in the organization, do they keep ripping up your family and moving around? Thankfully, no. I was on a podcast recently telling a story about my father, um, and you have to go through Detroit if you're with an automotive maker. And so I, we spent a couple years in Detroit, and 
and, and he remembers this very hierarchical command and control organization of General Motors and them launching this car in the 80s and all of a sudden everybody's driving Honda and Toyota and I'm in his ear going, Dad, none of my friends are buying these cars. It's not working. He's like, but I can't tell them that. They won't listen. So anyhow, I'm about to tell a very descriptive story of him and General Motors and I pushed pause. I said, can I call my dad and get permission? And I called my dad. He goes, Michelle, I still have a pension. Don't, don't, set, right? don't throw me under the bus. And so, yeah, that was a very different time. And, and he's super apologetic because we did move every two years of my life. And there was never a question if he was really good at what he did. And back then, if you're good, you're not supposed to lead the people that you were peers with. You get transferred to a new market to lead new people. Nowadays, they don't do that anymore. But there are trade-offs to everything. One of the things that gave me is, talk about your dinner tables growing up in a family business. Growing up with General Motors, moving every two years, the nuclear family was incredibly strong. And I loved hearing stories of my father's work and how he motivated and how he led his team. So I think that drove me to get a PhD. Um, and really become a professor to teach this. Now the trade-off is, and I self-disclose a lot in my book, which is also something that academics didn't do or don't do, write and a, it was a huge risk, write right? Write a book for the write regular person. Write a book person. for the regular person and self-disclose. So I mean, I talk about my struggles. I didn't know who the heck I was because I was so adept at fitting in. I would move to Nashville, oh, okay, you know, trucker hats and Levi's, you know, you moved <laughs> to Detroit and it was, yeah, it was a very different, I was really good at fitting in. And then when I came to Loyola, I looked around, I wanted to fit in and nobody looked like me, nobody acted like me. I was not a traditional academic. And so I tried just to be a chameleon and fit in and that didn't work for me, Peter. I didn't connect with the students. I had poor teaching evaluations. Really, in the beginning? In the very beginning. award-winning professor now. Now. It took me a while. The dean brought me in. He said, you've got to do something. I, I don't know what to tell did you. Did he send you're... you to Michelle Johnson to fix you? He that did. Would be the, uh, he totally <laughs> did. I had to really look inward and think, what is my story? Who am I? Because I was just trying to be what I thought success looked like. And it wasn't me. And I had to embrace my strengths and my superpowers. And I finally did. And I became much better, thankfully. Garrison, I, I think of this as the people that your customers as being all women but that's not really true is it no we we do have three barber shops as well called the parker barber oh a separate separate wow. uh, under the umbrella uh, it was a concept that we launched about five years ago but sure in the salons we we still see just in a normal paris parker probably at least 20 percent men you know i'm going to ask you the question you can both answer this is everybody wants to know why is there a labor shortage there's as many Americans as there was before, a few more when you add in immigration. Um, Michelle, do you want to start? This is really perplexing to all of us, is why in the world there's this labor shortage because the government's not helping out anymore. And what I've been reading and seeing is people had a huge wake-up call during the pandemic, and they're just much pickier, and they're willing to live on less or choose a different company that provides a work environment where they're happier. I was just in Rome teaching this summer and a part of my book tour. You picked the good and gigs, I picked by the a way. Good gig. yeah. <laughs> and I asked my students, I said, raise your hands. How many of you all were negatively affected by a parent who really didn't like their job, their boss, their company, and it affected the whole family? 90% of them raised their hands. And they said during the pandemic, because these are young kids, they're 19, 20, that a lot of their parents did end up leaving those companies and said, I want something different. 
So that's what I mean. There's just so many great opportunities, so many seismic shifts going on. Why can't we reinvent the way we work, the way we live, and lean in with more kindness and compassion? Why can't we? Is that what you find, uh, Garrison? It, totally. You have, to, you have to lead with kindness and compassion. Um, you, and, you and Robert were discussing it on your podcast about how he leads, and you know, it's the right way. I mean, things happen. You're especially with COVID going on. I mean, the amount of times that we had a COVID scare and people couldn't come to work and it's, you just have to accept that. They, they have to put their families first. And I, I'm happy to see that leaders and companies are finally in this place where it seems like they, they understand the value of their people more and they're, they're putting their families first. Michelle, will it last? You think they- Oh, absolutely. We're not putting the toothpaste back in the tube. We are not going back. I had a leader. I was on a coaching call with the leader. He's like, what can I do to connect? I just got this great green egg. I'd love to have my people over for a cookout, but my former boss told me that wasn't professional. I couldn't do that. I was like, oh, no, no, no. Those were the old rules. Invite your people over for a cookout. Get to know them on a personal level. Connection drives results. And you know, Michelle, I was, when you talked about the success of the book, I've got to ask you more of a business side of it is, how did that happen? Did you go on book tours? What did you do? I mean, it's, it's tough to break through. Oh my goodness. It's been one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever had to do. And I will say I can attribute, Marshall Goldsmith is my mentor and he wrote the foreword to the book and he's a New York Times bestselling author, the number one executive coach in the world, number one global thought leader. So I had a really good mentor and I told him how uncomfortable I was to promote my book. He said, is it more important to you to stay comfortable or is it more important to you to get the message out? And I said, fair enough, I've got to get the message out. He goes, you got to go and peddle books, Michelle. you got to promote it. So I put together a team to help me with social media and to go on a book tour. And I've been on 37 podcasts and I've launched my own podcast. I mean, I had to go big to do it. This I never would have made number two if I had just sat in my office at Loyola. I mean, I've assembled a team and I said, it's more important to me, I've got to get over my discomfort in, in asking people or telling people, not even saying, will you buy my book? It was just telling the story, right? I had to, and so that's what I've been doing is telling the story. So in other words, thank you for having me today to let me share my story. <laughs> You're a good person to share. I, I, I appreciate you too. And, and Garrison, you've, you've talked about all the, the spreading out of the business and such. Have you ever had anything that didn't work? Um, there's been a lot of things that didn't work. You know, my dad was an entrepreneur. Um, and so there's, there's many things over the years that we have tried that didn't work out. Um, but I think the key is that when you try something that doesn't work out, you own it and you, you just change quickly. What would they say, fall forward fast? So what I want to ask you, Garrison, is how in the world, it's one thing to have values up on the wall. That's one of the things that really attracted me to you as a leader is you walk the walk. You are humble, you are visionary, you're hip and you're cool, but you also believe in focusing on people and you have a value of love. How do you reinforce the values and not just have them on the wall? I, I really think it starts with every interaction that you have. Um, you know, I, I do several like touch bases throughout the year with the team, whether it's just be walking through the location, saying hi to them, but I, I really like to sit down with the team. Um, and so once a year I'll sit down with everyone and, and I'll give them the opportunity to talk about anything they want. Some people want to just talk about the numbers. Some want to just talk about their family or gardening. 
And it, I think it's that thing, like allowing them to be seen. And I, I reference this stuff quite often because it, it is really powerful. I mean, we, we really do encourage people to take care of their, their mental health. And it starts with self-love. I love that. Michelle, I got to ask you, if you, if Garrison was your client, what would be the first two or three questions you would ask him? Yeah, and so I would say, how do you measure success? I would first focus on what does success look like to you? And then I would say, how, how can I best help you grow even more? Because Garrison is at a pretty high level, right? He seems pretty self-aware, knows who he is, knows his story. Because that's always when I begin first is connection with self. Some of the leaders that I've worked with who were not able to get to the next level were not connected with themselves. They were trying to be somebody else and they just came across as inauthentic. Garrison is real, so he's got that down pat, right? And so I'd wanna know, how do you wanna get to the next level? One of the books that Marshall Goldsmith just launched that's a New York Times bestseller is called The Earned Life. And Marshall works with only the highest of the highest, the CEO of World Bank and of Mars and all the highest. And he found that so many leaders were really good at achieving results, but were personally not very happy. So I'm finding more and more of my work is about work, but also about you as a fully satisfied human. There's no doubt that age makes you wiser. As time passes, you learn from your mistakes. If you're really wise, you reach the conclusion that you'll never stop learning. But along with that wisdom comes the corresponding realization that you'll also never stop making mistakes. The best you can do is minimize your inevitable errors of judgment. And one of the ways you can do that in business, the same as in the rest of your life, is by learning to listen. Michelle, you have an impressive list of clients, students, and readers of, of your writing, all of whom are smart enough to listen to you. And Garrison, you've learned from the generations of family members ahead of you, and you're continuing to shape the business in response to the changing needs of both clients and employees. It has been great to spend time with both of you. Thank you, Michelle and Garrison, for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Oh, thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Michelle Johnson, executive coach, professor, and the Gaston Chair of Business at Loyola University, New Orleans College of Business, and author of The Seismic Shift in Leadership, and Garrison Neal. He's the co-owner and executive director at Paris Parker Salons. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Garrison Salons and Michelle's executive coaching by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch.
Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. And by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.